I have to look and say that in the last 10 years, we've developed an overflow of grace here, and I want to talk about the connection between first fruits and sort of breakthrough grace in people's lives. And probably one of the best ways is hearing testimonies. We have a wonderful testimony this morning from a young woman who's part of our online congregation. My name is Ashley, and I attend Life Center um, pretty much online. My kids and I are currently living with my parents and have been for about uh, three and a half years. Um, and at the end of 2020, we started praying about a house. Felt like it was time, felt like I was a place of healing and um, ready to move out again on our own. But when I heard about First Fruits, I knew immediately that we this was something we wanted to be a part of. Um, so because we attend online, um, I remember the morning we did it on my phone together and I we prayed about it together and all my three kids and I all pressed the button together and we all gave together. The market right now is so crazy. It is a seller's market. Um, houses in our community um, are just flying off the market and they're going for way over asking price. And then um, 40 weeks after First Fruits, my sister texts me that she saw a house was um, put on the market in our community and it was ridiculously low. So fasted and prayed, um, had my family praying with me, came up with a bid, put it in, and three days later my offer was accepted, which was just crazy, just crazy that I was, I was picked. Um, and actually at closing, we came to find out that my bid wasn't the highest bid. But um, because of the situation where um, it was an estate sale and just some bitter feelings among the family, they really felt like some good needed to come out of it and just didn't want to sell it to just a flipper. So they picked me and I was the only one that was planning to live on it. I'm so excited about our house and our new beginning, but the sweet little ways that the Lord has encountered me this whole year kind of mean more to me than the actual home. Like the creator of the universe is like taking time out to just encounter me and say, I see you. Like that to me means more than, than the house. So for anybody who is considering first fruits, I would definitely say to do it, um, to pray about it. Um, but not only for, for that thing that you're praying for, but the sweetness of the way the Lord will encounter you and um, just to see him work in your life. Uh, it's amazing, it's amazing. Wow. The sweetness of the way that God deals with us. See overflow. Oh, it's amazing. But you know, we've just seen this in million, like breakthroughs that have released I am assuming tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars into the, the body of Christ through just listening and obeying and stepping into a partnership with God. So I had to renew my mind to do this. And it's my real privilege this morning, someone who totally knows about money, even more than I do, is my, my son-in-law, who's also a son in love that we love. Derek uh, Rhodes dearly. He's married to our daughter Anastasia. He's the pastor of, of Boca uh, Raton Life Center, along with with Anastasia and a great team. But a, an amazing father of four, brilliant. Of course, my they're my grandchildren, so of course they're brilliant. But 
the, uh, not because of me, just because every grandparent feels that way. But I want to introduce Derek Rhodes. Come up and share with us from an investment banker's understanding of money why we should be in this. Thank you, Charles. Wow. That's better than the first service. Uh, hopefully this will be also, but we'll see. Um, I said earlier, I had about two hours worth of uh, information to go over and about a 15-minute time slot. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. But this is the second service. So I, just, I might just go the full two hours. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it plays out. Um, Lord, we just, we thank you for your sweetness, Lord. We thank you for the word that you've given us, this beautifully written, so tender word that you've given of how to live this life, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're our Jehovah Jireh. You and you alone are our provider. Help us to see that and understand that in a more meaningful way. And bless my words in your name. Um, so as Charles mentioned, I'm going to talk quickly about money, which is a topic I'm you know, pretty well versed in. I'm hoping to be versed in other topics, but I'm not as of yet. So I'm going to stick to kind of what I know. But uh, I'm also going to talk about giving, something that uh, I've been actively doing you know, pretty much for my whole life. Um, but in a more meaningful way, kind of as I started to understand and grasp the depth of giving and just the ramifications of giving. Um, but speaking about money, there's, I mean, it's a huge topic, right? It, it plays an integral role in all of our lives, right? From the kind of cars that we drive to the houses that we live in to whether we're in a place of financial insecurity where we're trusting the Lord for our next rent check or if we have maybe even an overconfidence in our wealth. You know, it plays a huge role. And the Bible talks about it a lot, right? I mean, it talks about it a lot, a lot. Uh, it talks about faith, which, you know, relatively important to our, you know, Christian life, about 500 times in the Bible. It talks about love, anywhere from 300 to 600 times, depending on if you're using, you know, what Google search you're using. Um, but it talks about finances, whether it's money, you know, possessions, uh, wealth, over 2,000 times, like 2,350 times. So more than four times as much as it talks about faith or love for that matter. So the Lord obviously has a pretty big view on it and it sees it plays a pretty big role in how we interact with our finances. Um, the first verse I actually ever learned uh, was Ecclesiastes 10, 19. Uh, and that's you know, for the New King James Version, which was the version of choice when I was young. Um, and it goes, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money answers all things. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I can work with that. You know, and there's some, obviously there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, it, it was written by Solomon, so, you know, it's got to be somewhat true. Um, but what I didn't realize when I was young is how much of a, finan how much of a spiritual matter finances is. I mean, when we think in the way we interact with finances, it really is it's a spiritual matter that God wants to address. Um, when I was young, newly married, as most newly marrieds are, we had no money. Um, we didn't have two pennies to rub together, but uh, we'd still go on our dates, you know, $2 Celeste frozen pizza, a DVD, and we were happy for $5, you know, and that made us happy, and we were content. We trusted the Lord in the area of our finances. We, we tithed, and sure enough, the Lord responded, and the Lord gave us a good job. He gave me promotions. Uh, over time, he gave me good investment opportunities and things of that nature. And, and so then over the years, you know, money became less of a concern for us. And we were kind of like, okay, you know, feel pretty good to go. And I remember I was laying in bed, you know, 
I'd like to say this was a long time ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago. I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, you know, just doing this little mental calculation of kind of going through my net worth, right? I have these investments over here and I have these properties bringing this income over here. You know, I got this on my house. I'm like, you know, honey, if, if I lost my job, we could downsize and, you know, we could potentially be okay and just kind of retire and kind of sail into the sunset, live a smaller life, and we could be okay. And as I'm kind of going through this calculation in my mind, the Lord just gives me the proverb, you know, the, the parable of the rich fool, right? We all know that proverb, right? Uh, a farmer has a fertile land. He has more grain than he knows what to do with. He's like, oh, what should I do? You know what? I'll, I'll tear down this barn. I'll build a bigger barn. And then I'll have plenty, you know, for the next number of years, I can, you know, sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm laying in my bed thinking, ah, wow, I'm literally playing out this exact parable in my own heart right now. And, and notice the parable isn't of the evil farmer, right? He wasn't evil. I, I was, I'm not an evil person, you know, but, but he was a fool. And why was he a fool? Because he was putting his value in his possession, in this earthly materials, which when we, often we look at these parables and we think they're far away from us, but they're not. They're, they're very close to our home, right? And I just noticed how close that was. And, and the Lord, I just found him saying, look, Derek, I know that you're rich towards me, but I can, feel, I can feel this tugging in your heart. I can feel you just slowly and ever so slowly just putting a little bit more confidence in, in this wealth, um, and so it made me kind of sit back and I started looking through the, the, the word. Uh, another story that we're all, you know, very, very familiar with. I like the version in Mark. It's uh, uh, the story of the rich man, Mark 10, um, verse 17. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. I'm not sure why no one uses that anymore, but it's great. But uh, we all know this story, right? Uh, a man comes to Jesus and says, you know, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord responds, uh, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, love your parents. And I like in Matthew, it says, it basically kind of sums the whole thing up and says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so he's like, well, I've been doing all of this stuff my whole life. You know, I've, I've, so this is, a, this is a good man. And you know it's a good man because Jesus looks at him, and I love how Mark says it, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So he's looking at this man, and he's trying so hard. He's, he's doing all the things that he's supposed to do. And he's, he's saying, Jesus, what do I need to do? And, he, and Jesus feels this genuine love. And he says, what? There's, there's still one thing that I need you to do, that you need to do. Sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And we know how the story goes. He had a lot, so you know, he, he left away sad. And obviously, he missed out on a lot. And I would argue that... Obviously, the Lord knew how he would respond when he was asked that question, right? He knew he was willing to give it up. And I would argue that if he was willing to give that, up those possessions, Jesus probably would have never asked him to do that in the first place. Because he knew even though he had all those possessions, those possessions didn't actually have him. But very similar to the, the parable of the rich farmer, his, he had this, this, hold, this hold in his heart of, of his possessions. He held that in more value subconsciously, perhaps, obviously probably subconsciously, if you think about it, he's, he's loving his neighbor of himself, he's doing everything well, but he held that in a higher value than investing in the kingdom. So finally Jesus steps in and says, okay, you know what, let me just give you some financial advice, you know, straight up. Um, this is from Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate your thoughts of the unbelievers. Which is true. Like, it, it kind of does dominate our thoughts, right? It's hard for us to look past tomorrow, past next month, literally past next year, 
And if we're thinking about eternity, then that's so ethereal. It's really hard for us to get our minds around. But seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Sell your possessions to give to those in need, and store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. It's kind of paraphrased there. But, but the Lord's saying, look, there's so much more than this small little portion of, the, of this life that we have on earth. And by the way, he cares about every hair on our head, right? He wants to bless us very much today. And we see countless testimonies. We're going to see countless more of people giving and the Lord providing a way for them here on earth. Because that's what the Lord likes to do. It's his good pleasure to do that. And he will continue to do that. But he's saying that there's so much more than even beyond that. But it's hard for us. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around anything beyond a month out or a year out. Um, and so an illustration that I like, there's a... Um, a, a pastor and author, Francis Chan. He has this great book called Crazy Love. Highly recommend it. But he has this great illustration. He takes uh, some white rope. So let's just, we're going we're gonna to play a little bit of make-believe here. Let's say I'm holding a white rope. And my wife, who right now is in Boca Raton, Florida, some 1,100 miles away, is holding the other end of that rope. This rope kind of, it represents like a timeline of your life, of your existence, if you will. Okay, so... Very long, right? I don't know how much I would weigh, but it would be heavy. But at the very end of that rope, it's painted in red. Okay? So we have this red rope. This red portion of the front of this rope represents your time here on earth. Right? And then we pass through to eternity, and we have this rest of this timeline. But we're so obsessed with this first inch of this rope, we just can't get around this first inch. And really, it's not even that, that inch, right? The first third of that inch, we're kids, we're going to college, making terrible mistakes and you know, trying to make up for it. And then we go into that kind of second third where I'm at, where a lot of us are at, um, you know, where we're saving for homes, we have kids, we have all these other kind of you know, worries of life and things of that nature. And really, we're trying to you know, crimp and save and try to make our ends meet. And really, we're saving for that last like one third of an inch, right? That's where, and if we go back to the, the, um, the story of the rich man, he didn't want to give up that last little one third for what he could have throughout eternity. So Jesus is like saying, look, I, I get it, but like, there's so much more than that little one third. God is not looking for an offering or for sacrifice, just, you know, for the sake of sacrifice, right? He's providing a way in which he can bless us. He wants us to participate in the blessing that he has, which is over and above what we could ever, ever imagine, right? So he's providing a unique way for us to participate in that. Um, as kind of Charles you know, mentioned earlier, like my hobby literally is investing. Like it's what I do for fun, much to you know, my wife's dismay. I'm always coming up with uh, you know, houses to buy or maybe a business to buy or something that I can do. Some work out, some don't, you know, but... I'm always kind of reviewing that. And when God kind of dropped in my heart, like the value of investing in his kingdom, I was kind of, it, it just started to click. And all of a sudden it made sense. The guaranteed nature of it. He's saying there's something greater that I have for you. It's something that's guaranteed. The return is exponential and the return lasts forever. Another group of people that God, we find in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 through 4, um, this is uh, Paul speaking to the uh, Corinthians about the church in Macedonia. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, right? So I'm talking from a place of wealth, but this applies to no matter where we are. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They did it out of their own free will. And this is, this is the best verse here. 
They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift to the believers. They were poor, they gave more than they want, and they, they begged and they begged for the privilege of participating in giving. Because they got it, they got the picture that giving, it's a very unique spiritual exercise. And there's not a lot of other things like it. It's a very physical, it's a physical way of basically taking physical money and transferring it from that one third of that red part of that rope to this eternal component. Like I said before, often that blessing happens in that portion also. But it's a way we can physically transfer and participate in all the the blessings that the Lord has. Um, I've always liked the the verse Romans 10, 17. Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? You know, we're familiar with this. I like this verse because it's very formulaic in nature, right? A plus B equals C. If you want more faith, spend more time in the word, and boom, you know, you have it. It's a pretty nice, easy recipe. Giving is a very similar concept, right? It's a spiritual principle. If you give, you shall receive. Uh, in Luke, uh, Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. And I said this earlier, I don't, you know, in the second crowd here, I'm not sure how many believe, like, you know, is everything in the Bible true? Like, does anyone believe, like, every single thing in the Bible is true? Yeah, we, we do, right? Because everything is true. It's infallible, right? If it's in the word, it's true. So when Jesus says, give and you will receive, it's not give and, and hopefully you'll receive. Okay, sometimes when you give, you know, there's a good percentage of you that may receive, you know, give and, and hopefully. No, if you give, you will receive. And Jesus, from what I know, isn't prone to exaggeration. So when he's talking about, well, what will you receive? You receive something pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual law. Second Corinthians 9, 6, uh, starting in verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you know the difference between a, a reluctant giver and a, and a cheerful giver? A cheerful giver is like those, the church of Macedonia. It's, a, it's people that got it, right? It's the people that get it. They're saying, hey, this isn't a burden to me. This is a blessing to me. Uh, last year was the first year that I you know, did the first fruits in a more kind of meaningful way. And I was, I was talking to Anne uh, last year just about the, the concept of it. Um, and, and I was talking, I was thinking, you know, I look at investments for a living. That's what I do. Um, and when I look at this, out of all the investments that I've made, it's the, it's the best, most sure thing I've ever done with my money. Because I know for a fact, I know the return that I'm going to get on that. I know that no matter what, his, his credit is always good for it. Picking up in verse 8, and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered for how long? Forever. Forever is like a really, really long time. It's longer than that 1,100 mile rope. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then a produce of great harvest of generosity will be in you. 
Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So two good things happen. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, we give and we will return and that's great. But the money that we give isn't just money going into an investment, right? It's money that's going into the kingdom. So I see my, my sister and her, you know, husband over here, whom I love dearly, Debbie and Bruce, they're missionaries in Ukraine. And when I sow into their ministry, they're in Ukraine encouraging the believers, saving souls, and I get to participate in all that that's doing. That money physically goes to helping bring in souls in. And the reward that they get, I get to share in that reward throughout eternity. And the best part, and I get to do it from Boca Raton, Florida, which is, you know, pretty ideal versus Ukraine. But I, I heard Ukraine's beautiful at this time of year. But uh, anyhow, I'm one and a half minutes over my time here, but that's okay. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Okay, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a big ask there, Lord. Oh, wait. But, but verse 10. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. That seems like a pretty good investment. I, I think that's what I want to be a part of. So, I mean, there's on and on I, I could go, but really what I just want to encourage you and kind of leave with you is, is a few things. One, that your, your faith would increase. Two, that your security will not be found, whether it's a lack or an overabundance, it will not be found in your bank account, right? And that three, we can be more like the church in Macedonia. When we see this, we, we want to be, it's, it's a, an opportunity, it's an honor, um, it's a privilege, as they said, to be able to participate in that. And so that's just what I, I want to uh, pass to you, that the Lord loves us so, so, so much. And he's like, I want to bless you so much. And here's a way that I can pour out my blessings upon you. And I pray that, that we're able to do that with a very grateful heart. Charles? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Derek. We love Derek. Derek grew up in the youth group, and he was kind of a, he was not the most well-behaved in the youth group. But he was a really good hypocrite, so he tried to look good, you know. And uh, Anastasia was... I mean, this is his own story to me, that he, she was the only girl he couldn't fool. <laughs> she goes, nah, like, if you get serious about Jesus, then we can talk. And uh, we're really thankful you got serious about Jesus. And a good wife sanctifies the husband, and it's excellent. So we love Derek. Anyway, oh, we, we really deeply, deeply are thankful for your life and for your children and all the other stuff you're doing. And we love the church in Boca Raton who aren't listening right now because they, they do the first service. But the, uh, so I think all of this, I mean, Ashley Batillo's testimony, stunning. Derek's words are so instructive. It's all like, I, what is God doing? I think he's renewing our mind so that we understand, as Ashley put it, the creator of the universe is personally involved in our lives. And this is, 
that, you know, the Lord is our shepherd, Yahweh. It's your personal shepherd. And in the dimension of that relationship, there's no lack. It doesn't exist. And there's testimony after testimony of those who obey the Lord and wait, you know, and he doesn't disappoint. He puts us through trials, but he doesn't disappoint. And the trials are always for our good. It's not like he's sadistic. It's like, you know, you pray those prayers. I want to be like you. Keep following. You will be. Hallelujah. So anyway, I, I have the joy that right now I just have to, I want to, if you take those, um, there's handouts. I don't know what the right word to use is. There's pieces of paper. They're half sheets. And they've got these seven first principles on them. And I, I just, it, we've talked about them. And, but I realize some people, it, this is your first, first time you've ever heard of this. So it's like good to explain. What are we doing? Um, a first fruits offering. I mean, this was an instruction the Lord gave me in probably the su late summer of 2007. And with fear and trepidation, we did it thinking, oh, everybody's going to, you know, God, you know, we don't want to, we're not trying to manipulate people to give money. And that for, even the, from the beginning, there was a release of miracle testimonies. And so we've seen it over and over again. It's changing our world and it's changing the world out there. So first fruit uh, offerings are given at the beginning. They're different. A tithe was a thank you at the end of the harvest. This is all, you know, ancient agrarian culture. And the first fruits, they would bring it in before the, really, they didn't know what kind of harvest they were going to have. And so first fruits offerings is, are prophetic. It's like we're instructing the future. It, the first fruit sanctifies the whole of our life. It makes it all holy. It's all supernatural. God treats it like it's his own. The second point, this is a pattern, not a lie. You know, we're not going under mosaic regulation at all. We're, we're observing the ways of God that we honor God and he honors us. It's a relationship, not a gimmick. And I love this little verse in Ezekiel 44, which this whole section of Ezekiel is, you know, hard to comprehend if, if we don't recognize it, starting with Ezekiel 37 on through into about Ezekiel 50, it's all prophesying about an age to come. Perhaps the millennium, perhaps it's new heaven and new, new earth stuff, I don't know, but, um, and in this, he's giving instructions for this future uh, temple and worship and stuff. And anyway, verse 30 starts out, the best of the first fruits of any kind you shall give, and it says to give it to the priest. It's a big, long verse, but if you, if you go down to the end of the verse, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, it says, why do you do this? To cause a blessing, which is God's favor and protection, to rest on your house. And I can testify that as we've done this, there is a blessing of God. As we've done it as a community, there's a blessing of God that rests on this house collectively and many people walk in and it's like a dimension of supernatural possibilities open up not because we're some kind you know it's not like some kind of weird spiritual um technology it's just that god's blessing he's he's treating it and it and it is on many you know i pray it's on all of your homes and uh the third point which 
Derek just talked about <laughs> generosity indicates grace and love at work, you know, and, and so we want to excel. We excel in many graces. We want to excel in this grace of giving. Grace is God's ability that enables us to do things we could never do. That's why we're saved by grace. We can't save ourselves by good works, but but because he saves us with his grace, we overflow with the good works of God. That I just pray you would excel in this grace as well, and that you receive that empowerment from him. And of course, uh, it, it is an indicator of love in our works. If you read 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you, I'm actually testing the sincerity of your love. And he's, and he's comparing the, the, the earnestness of others. And so I'm not comparing. That's Paul's job and God's job. But it's just something that God, it's like, God, thank you. And here's the amazing thing is every offering is, is, is an offering of love. These are love gifts. They're not extracted like a tax on your life. The fourth point, we give according to what we have, not what we don't have. So we never want to say, well, you know, I don't have much money, so I'm disqualified. I'm telling you, you can be the poorest person that you know. And your little offering, God looks at it differently than human understanding looks at it. Just like the rich man building barns, God looks at his situation different than he does. In, in our poverty, we can touch God's heart in giving. That's why there's these stories, Elijah and the widow. Do you have anything? No, we're just gonna die. Okay, well, go ahead, you can do that, but first make me a little something, and it released supernatural provision that fed her, fed Elijah until, and fed her family and, her, and maybe her extended family until the drought ended. Elisha and the widow, she's left, she, her husband was a young prophet, maybe a little flaky, died, and then she's left in debt, and the only way to pay her debts, the, debtor, the creditors are going to come and take her two sons as slaves. And she comes to Elisha, what kind of prophet school is this anyway, you know, and tells him the story. And he, he says, well, and, and she's in desperate need. She's a widow. What do you have? Ah, nothing except this little oil. Okay, here's what you do. Go you know, borrow, borrow jars and bowls and vessels, not just a few, all you can get. So she sends her kids out, go get, you know, knock on the neck, can we borrow, can we borrow? And then he takes that little oil, supernaturally it fills up all those vessels and then it stopped and it paid off her debt and it provided an income for the rest of her life. And why would they highlight widows? Because in that culture, widows were the most unprotected neglected, vulnerable people who often just died and no one really cared. And so Jesus does the same thing. He's watching people put, he's, it actually says he's at the treasury of the temple observing how people give, <laughs> like, like what the motives are, what the, and, and a little old widow lady hardly has anything. She goes and she throws her two little coins in there and Jesus says, hey boys, look at that. She gave more than all of them. What? And he redefines it because God sees it differently than we do. So here's the thing. We give, no matter how much we have, that little seed that we're sowing takes us beyond our present circumstances into the future. God has plans for you to bless you, to prosper you, and not to harm you. And this is a way that we, we partner with God. We just trust him. And I, I just want to say this. Don't despise you, you know, an ability to give a small offering 
Anne and my, our lives, which I'm not gonna tell the story at the end for anybody who heard the first, so. But we hardly had anything. And, and one of the things that totally changed our lives, in our poverty, God, in, God gave, sent us instruction and just in a leap of faith, okay, we're gonna increase our giving a little tiny bit. No one noticed it except God, but over the next few years, our lives changed into a dimension that um, we could have never done it, and he's still doing it over and over and over again. Jesus, thank you. Uh, and so, um, and here's one I wanna elaborate on a little bit, and in giving, we plant seeds of blessings. In giving, we're planting seeds of blessing, and uh, and here's the point, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Sow means plant, old-fashioned language, okay? In case anyone's thinking that it's a sewing machine, which is also an old-fashioned concept these days. But uh, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap, which means harvest sparingly. But whoever who plants bountifully, that word literally means blessing, understanding it's a blessing, has a harvest of blessing that comes in. And the seed that we plant roots in our heart into God's soil and brings all this potential out in good fruit that lasts forever. The seed carries instruction for the future. The seed carries on what was in one generation goes forward into the future through seeds and generation after generation. And every offering we give releases a blessing for the future of the things that are deep in our heart, including our children. Our children are called seed all through scripture, starting with, with Genesis 3.15, where God speaks to the serpent and said, the woman's seed and your seed are gonna be at war. And the woman's seed is gonna crush the head of your seed. You might bruise his heel. You will bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. He's calling children seed because in there, it's a generational thing, and so we understand that idea. Like, oh, our children care, carry forth something from us. If it's only our genetics, they carry something from us. Um, words are called seed in Scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, the planter, and he goes out and he says, the sower sows a seed. He's scattering seed, which was the way fields were planted you know, 2,000 years ago, and in parts of the world still are today. You have a seed bag and you scatter it into the soil. And, the, uh, and, and, he, and he gives this whole parable. Some seed fell in the, in the footpath and was trampled and eaten by birds, and others fell among the rocks and didn't have good roots, and others got in the weeds, and so it grew up, but it couldn't bear fruit because it was choked out. And he says, but this, some fell in good ground, and, and that was it. That was the teaching. Okay. You're done. That was a short sermon. And, all, and the sermons, the, the disciples are like, we don't know what you're talking about. Ah, he says, ah, you know. To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. This is Mark 4.11. And in Mark 4, and he starts to unpack it and talks about all it is. But I love this statement in Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word. He says the, the seed is the word of God. And so in the same way that that. The word of God is the seed of God that brings forth the kingdom in this world. The words we speak are seeds that we sow. And every offerings are called seeds. Why? Because they have all this creative potential. Same creative potential 
that words have, that, that having children have, whew, this is a wild thought. I mean, so when you give an offering, it's like you write a book. You give an offering, it's like you're having children because you're impacting your life is going forward into the future. Jesus, that makes me happy thinking about it. <laughs> so anyway, so all, every one of our offerings contains in it a future reality. And we have, just like we, we hopefully are careful with our words, every good word bears fruit into eternity. That we, we care about our children, we want them to grow up and do well in this world. So, so, so with our offerings, we want to sow them in good ground. And, and we look forward not just to the one harvest, but to harvests way beyond our lifetime. Thank you, Jesus. The, uh, every offering contains a future reality in, a, in an immature form. And I, th we have some slides here of sequoia trees, and I love this. You know, Jesus talks about the mustard seed, which was a small seed that grew up into the biggest plant in the garden. We have sequoia trees that are little tiny seeds, smaller than tomato seeds, and grow up into the biggest living organisms on this planet. And, you know, you can see people want to study sequoia trees. They have to get mountain climbing gear to climb up into the tree to study the different ecosystems and microclimates created from one seed. Isn't that amazing? So we just pray that the, the, the offerings you sow, look how tiny that seed is compared to a lima bean or compared to an avocado seed. They're little tiny, like... You could step on them and not even know you're stepping on them. That little, tiny, inconsequential seed grows into the largest organism on planet Earth. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know. You know, there may be a connection there about seeds and the impact. All right. Uh, sixth point and, uh, is that the harvest, and, and Derek just went through this, and John went through this also, that the, the, it's reciprocal and and it's proportional, and that the more we sow, the more, you know, it, we get it back, and it always increases. That's the thing about, no one plants a seed and expects to get one seed back. You plant a seed, and you get multiplied, multiplied. It's the nature of life. And, the, and these, these, these offerings, as you bring them, they're like seeds squirming with life. They can't wait to get into the soil to release God's blessings. And I, maybe it sounds corny saying that, and don't, you know, forgive me, but I'm listening to these testimony after testimony, and many that, that you've never heard, and more that I've never heard, of, you know, people that just children being conceived and born, marriages being restored, prodigals coming home, businesses started, ministries started, healings, deliverances, breakthroughs, all of these things somehow in the, in the testimonies, people tie them back to specific offerings they sowed. Or maybe not a specific offering, but just say, God changed my heart. And I started just giving generously, and it opened the windows of heaven. And actually, it's never just about our life, but God blesses us so we can be a blessing. The, uh, and then, I love this. Uh, this is the seventh point, that... Our giving releases an overflow because God's looking for partners. It's an overflow of God's creative ability. And uh, I, 
2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one gives as he's decided in his heart. It's free will, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. You know why? Because cheerful givers get it, which Derek was, was making that point. But I, I'm just, verse eight thrills me. And God is able. I mean, God is not insufficient in power. God is able to make all grace his ability. Overflow, abound in you, to you, toward you, and through you. All grace. Imagine all the grace that exists. God is infinite in his grace. He never runs out. So that having all sufficiency, would you like this to describe your life? All sufficiency in all things at all times. You, Paul's writing this to the Corinthians, you may abound in, and it's for, it's into every good work. Every, all, 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 overflow twice abound in, in this one verse. It's like, do you understand what he's using? These are superlative, that you can't get past all. You know, all. God, I just pray for all sufficiency. Would you just pause for a moment? Go to your secret place. <laughs> Let's, let me just declare this over you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. And God, we just break off disappointment. We break off lies of the enemy that that's for other people, but not for me. And God, we declare that within our personal relationship with you as shepherd, there is no lack and that there is all that we need in Jesus' name. And uh, understanding when we when we it gives him an opportunity to work with us and through us. I love 2 Corinthians, or 2 Chronicles 16.9. And it's actually, I mean, God is, is dealing with King Asa here. And, and, he's, and the prophet comes to, to tell him, look, you could have so much more. You could, you could have a completely different life. And, and here's what he says in verse 9. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole face of the earth. Meaning they're like he's scanning planet earth uh, to give strong support or to strongly support or to show himself mighty. Different translations. To those whose heart is blameless, completely his, loyal to him. He's looking for partners. He wants to show himself strong. I don't know about you. I want to be like, as his eyes are running to and fro over the face of the earth, I want him to look at me, even in all my imperfections and failings, that just like Abraham believed God in a moment, and it was counted to him for righteousness, that your faith, that God, and, and I'm not just talking about this for the offering next week. This is the way to live, at our hearts completely toward him. And so, let, you can stand up and... Uh, I just want to go over these last uh, little sections, four keys. And I want to pray anyone stuck or frustrated that, that you'll discover this releases God to work in your life. And so 
we've, we've kind of broke this down into four key things for understanding first fruits. It's cyclical. We do it on an annual basis. Others, uh, you could have a different cycle. Um, it's done in faith. You know, it's, faith is always a stretch to trust God. You know, it's beyond just like, oh yeah, okay, you know, it's in our budget, we got it covered. But it's just like, we listen and he speaks and we obey. And, uh, and you heard last week, there was a couple, they said, we were kind of puzzled. God actually gave, told us to give less and then he did more than he had ever done. And, and uh, sacrificial, it's always sacrificial. It, it's the nature of an offering that there is some sacrifice to it. And I, I, there is a, a, a beautiful brother in our church. Maybe he can share this personally sometime, but he, he shared with me that when he was very young, early in their marriage, they received an inheritance. They were very, you know, they were like our age, kind of same hippies, didn't have anything uh, kind of people. And they, he gets this large inheritance. God spoke to them to give most of it away. And they did, and they never heard of, I mean, like what I'm teaching. But that then, I mean, literally for the rest of their lives up till now, they've been missionaries, they've, they've had different occupations and businesses, and they've never been in want. And, and while they were year missionaries, which was for decades and decades, they never had to do deputation, go around and pitch their vision to churches. And God... Do you see what God, it's like a partnership. Like, I'm your shepherd. You don't have to worry. You just blow that worry away and move into a relationship. Um, it's targeted. So we always ask you, like, what's on your heart? What, where are the areas, where are gates that the enemy holds that you want to have busted open? Where do you want restoration? Where do you want breakthrough? What are the godly ambitions in your life? Write these down. I mean, don't, maybe... If you write them all down, it might not seem very targeted, but, and it's hard to discern where God has answered. But if you write like those three or four top priority things or things just that God speaks, you write them down and then you can watch and you can testify to God's goodness. Okay, um, a little instructions, some of which is common sense and you got it. Number one, it's been said on the slides, you pray for God's direction. Just pray, like God, give us direction, uh, give us hearing hearts, give, give us an amount either that you speak in our heart and we feel good. Ann and I usually, I mean, I think almost every time, maybe every time, we, we kind of do this separately and then we come together and compare numbers. And maybe only one time they were different. They weren't different by much, just a small percentage, but it's like, it's like God speaks to us, and that's an exercise in itself. My sheep hear my voice. And so if God tells you how much to give, give it. And if you think, well, I could give more, no, give what he told you. If you want to give more, you can. But I mean, it's like, and then if he tells you to give more, then, then you're, you're like, ah, are you serious? Okay. <laughs> um, then you want to have confirmation. You know? <laughs> like that's why be in agreement. So we pray for fear, hearing hearts, and we actually do this to help you with your joy in your faith, that we put a no fear guarantee on this, that if, if you just got totally carried away and like two weeks later you wake up sweating in the middle of the night and you realize, 
ah, they're gonna repossess our house, all these other bad things are gonna happen because I, I was thinking this would go this way and it's gone. Then you can come and tell us, we'll give you your money back. And we, it, we call it the no fear guarantee that you just don't have to be afraid of that. When we've done it and we, we've done it with laughter and joy and prayer and congratulations for taking that, that leap of faith, it's kind of like it, swinging. <laughs> you know, you, could, you, you, might, you might have a strike, but man, if you hit it, it's out of the park. So, okay. Um, have a target. I, we covered that before. Set an amount or ask for one. Write a check. And so next week, over the next week, write a check. You can use push pay. But we ask you to use those envelopes. Fill out like what it is you want. And if you're watching online, there's a way to do this online. Fill out what it is you're believing God for. Because where you take... When we receive these next week, we'll receive them with a blessing. We'll play, play blessing over the seed you've sown and blessing over you as the sower. And we'll agree with you in prayer. It's a very holy time. It's like what, it actually blows me away with the presence of God in these meetings. We, we've done them every year. But not only do we present them to God in the service, but we, t we save all those envelopes and we take time as a, as a pastoral staff and we'll go through every envelope and we pray with weeping and with joy and with awe and wonder, agreeing with what you've asked for. And we continue to pray with you in this. And so it's just an amazing experience as a community. And so bring it next week. And I just want to pray for you and bless you, get you out of here. Um, and also before I get... The ones who want to leave, okay, there's a minute or two left, but if you've come with needs with, for healing, with prayer, we had a number of healings in the first service, just in the service, you know, that God healed people. But if you need prayer for that, prayer for any other situation in your life, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we invite you to come forward and just, when you get up to the front, there'll be people waiting to pray for you. And just say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him for real. I want him in my heart. I want him to save me from my misery, my sin, my shame, these addictions I can't get over, my, my mental state, whatever it is. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And so I just bless you. Lift your hands up. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you, protect you. May his face, his presence shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May his grace, his unlimited grace fill your life. May you know that he turns his face toward you when you pray. He's watching you with love, waiting for your requests and your responses to his voice and his word and may his shalom be upon you. God bless you as you seek him and prepare. Have a great week. You're dismissed. Amen. <laughs> so.